Well, this morning we are continuing a study that we began several weeks ago here uh, at the beginning of September, entitled Out of the Box, uh, Increasing Kingdom Influence. What we've been discovering together, and this sort of began uh, back this summer when we did a series on kingdom culture, and you can always go to our website at uh, www.bethelTwinCities.org and, and find PowerPoints and also um, you know, MP3 files of, of the various messages, and might encourage you to actually even do that. Um, my son-in-law is actually listening to my messages right now. It's very exciting. Um, and uh, I love that when my, my kids are interacting with what, uh, what God's speaking through us and to us here. Um, but, um, and this morning, by the way, I've got a lot of PowerPoint today. Um, got a, a, a kind of a weighty message in terms of content uh, for sure. And uh, so you may not be able to keep up in your notes, but you can always get those at the back table. The PowerPoints uh, are made available for you there with CDs or, again, off of the website. All right. So what we've been discovering together is um, that there's a kingdom culture that transcends our earthly cultures and actually transforms our earthly cultural worldview, values, and practices. As it says in Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in increasing in kingdom influence, what we are discovering that is as our worldview, values, and practices are shaped by this kingdom culture, we become catalysts of transformation in the earthly culture systems around us, including key earthly systems of culture such as education, religion, arts and entertainment, family and kinship, marketplace, media, and government. So what we're doing over these weeks is actually unpacking things in each of these various areas. And so um, Dr. Steve and, and Janice Rasmussen shared with us around education. I shared a message uh, related to our interaction with other religions. Um, Last week, um, Pastor Brad Kindle from the gallery did a masterful job. I, I couldn't have done what he did if I'd have been studying for a very long time. It was beautiful on arts and entertainment and helping us. How do we think about that? This morning, we're going to be talking about family and kinship, and then we'll be closing out with the last three messages uh, here through the month of October. And we believe that the Spirit of God is leading us as a people out of the box of you know, out of the part of the box is this sacred secular thing that we've got going, where we compartmentalize between that which is sacred and that which is secular. And, and, and part of the box is sometimes we think, well, I'm going to church, and we forget we are the church, and we gather here together in a space, but that's not doesn't confine us or define all of who we are. And so God wants to take us out of these four walls and into these areas of earthly culture in order that we might be influencers, advocates for his kingdom, culture, worldview, values, and practices. Now, when I was doing my doctoral work, I did a tremendous amount of study in the book of Ephesians. In fact, I, I think that the book of Ephesians really is um, the gospel of this kingdom culture that we've been talking about. And 
in the future, Pastor Sam and I were just talking about this, we might come back and do a full series on the book of Ephesians because there's so much within it. And you can uh, connect with that with Illuminate uh, with Norm, who was up leading worship earlier on Sunday evenings at 6 to 7.30. He's, he's doing a, leading a, a conversation that's going on in the books of Galatians and Ephesians right now. But the book of Ephesians, really kind of the theme of it is God's new kingdom culture. And if you look over the book of Ephesians, you'll discover that the first three chapters really help us understand what our kingdom identity is. Who are we? In the second, uh, within that, it talks about new life and the new society. So it starts kind of from the individual perspective, who, who are we, who is our identity, and then collectively, corporately, who are we together as the people of God. What is this new society, this new kingdom culture look like? In chapters 4 to 6, we talk about kingdom destiny and what we are to do with that. So understanding our identity, what are we called to do? And there are new standards and there are new relationships that flow out of that identity that we have in Christ. So we have a new identity which results in a new destiny, what we do, the new life and the new society impacts and, 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 and unfolds in terms of new standards and new relationships. The key verse in the book of Ephesians is Ephesians 4.1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy, worthy of the calling that you have received. That's the hinge point between the first three chapters and the next three chapters, is living a life worthy. Now that you know who you are, How are you going to live? What are you going to do with that? This week, as I was in study and and reviewing, and recently in my own devotional reading, I'd been reading again through, uh, I'm I'm sort of reading through different portions of the New Testament right now, I was reading through the book of Ephesians, and and there were some things that were very significant uh, that stood out to me as I was reading, and I want to just just quickly kind of walk you through a few passages of Scripture here. First, in Ephesians chapter 4, 22 to 24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Remember Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed any longer to the standards of this world, to the patterns of this world, to the culture of this world. Be transformed. This is what Paul is getting at here again in Ephesians 4. Very similarly, put off your old self, corrupted by deceitful desires. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on a new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He goes on in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators. Follow God's example as his dearly loved children. Going on, Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's 
will is. Be careful how you live. Now that's not only speaking of behaviors, but of values and worldview. Again, we're talking about cultural context. A kingdom identity and a kingdom destiny. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Again, back to Romans 12 too, that you may know the good, the perfect, the pleasing will of God. That happens through the transformation of our minds. And the transformation of our minds happens through being saturated in his word and his spirit. It doesn't happen any other way. So here's how I would kind of take and summarize these opening passages that I've just shared with you from the book of Ephesians. We are not called to escape from or to embrace the earthly culture around us, but we are to engage our culture with the gospel of the kingdom of God with righteousness, holiness, wisdom, and love. Now, I don't know. Anybody feel like completely up to that task? You know, if you would, I'd be happy to. Here you go. It's an unfolding process in all of our lives, individually and corporately, as we seek to represent, represent Christ into our culture. We need to do so as it tells us in these passages in Ephesians, with righteousness, with holiness, with with justice, with holiness, with wisdom, with love. This is our calling. Now this morning, we're going to be unpacking a particular area of our cultural earthly world system that, that frankly has a lot of brokenness in it. And it's the area of family and and kinship. And I so appreciate what Pastor Tom shared earlier about how in, you know, coming and, and lovely legs, by the way, um, but showing his knee, but showing that brokenness that, that, that we come... We come from somewhere. You didn't just land here this morning like tabula rasa with nothing. You know, you came from somewhere. And if you were born into a family of human beings, you were born into a system that experiences some level of brokenness. So you didn't come out of, you know, an entirely perfect earthly family system. Anybody come out of a perfect family system? Again, I'd love to. Oh, thank you, Brenda. Yes. (laughs) We have one here this morning. All right. That's beautiful. Good. Anybody currently residing in a perfect family system? One that has no challenges whatsoever. No, I I don't see those hands. (laughs) Because the fact is, we all come from somewhere and out of something. But how do we then begin to think about family? What do we, how do we think about this issue of of marriage and and, uh, children and and, and broader than that, just the family of God and kinship and, and how do we extended family and living within the context of family systems? 
How do we think about that? That's what I want to try to unpack for us very briefly this morning. And I am absolutely certain this morning, I have no, I can say this without any hesitancy at all, I know that this morning I will raise more questions than I will answer. Because I got questions that are being raised in the context of of, of, of as I continue this process and this journey. So we're on a journey together. We're not going to arrive somewhere exactly today, but we're going to take some steps and we're going to walk together. So if you're up for that, just kind of hang with me here. All right. Let's look at the foundation. If you've got your Bible, turn to Ephesians, please. It would be helpful. I, I love the sound of pages turning, so you can pull out the Bible that's located in front of you in case you don't have one with you this morning. If you have one with you, would you... Please just um, salve your pastor's uh, soul this morning by pulling it out and let me hear those pages. Or those of you that got those smartphone things, you know, um, just turn off the ringer, okay, if you would, and then, you know. But you're going to be turning to page 829, 829 from the Pew Bible. Yeah, I don't know what it is in yours, but in this one, the Bible in front of you, it's 829. And here's what I'm going to, and you've heard me say this perhaps before, and some of you who I've married, you've heard me share this certainly in pre-marriage counseling and sometimes in my wedding meditation that I do on your wedding day. I think the foundation, in fact, I'm convinced that the foundation for human relationships is found in Ephesians 5.21, which is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I believe that this is the starting point. If you want a solid rock foundation to stand upon, if any of our earthly relationships are going to work, it's going to work as a result of us honoring this particular scripture and allowing this mindset to begin to saturate into our minds, into our soul, and into our spirit. We are called as the people of God. Now, he's speaking in the context of kingdom culture here. So he's talking about people who who are in relationship with Christ, and he says, but, but, but the similar, I mean, the context can be extended and expanded with the invitation to those who do not yet know and who do not yet have that relationship. I would say to all of us that if we will do this, we will experience new life in our relationships with one another. I want to begin with the the, the heart of this, which is out of reverence for Christ. We want to start with the submit to one another. I want to start with out of reverence for Christ. Because I think this is where things really, I really do believe that this is the foundation point, the beginning, the very center point of things. When we recognize the kingship, by the way, that should be king, kingship of Jesus, when we recognize the kingship of Jesus by fully submitting to his rule and reign. Kinship works too. I mean, we're in relationship with him. But it's his kingship. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about a kingdom that isn't about a geographic realm. We're talking about the rule and reign of Christ cross-generationally, cross-culturally, from all time, world without end, the kingship of Christ, his rule and reign. And when we recognize the kingship of Jesus, we fully submit to his rule and reign That is reverence for Christ. At the heart of the word submission is the word taxis, which means order. Submission, then, is our humble recognition and response 
to His divine orders. He is the King. He gets to make the rules. He chooses how He will reign in our lives. And guess what? He knows how to do that for our best benefit. This is not some capricious king who's waiting to crush you down. This is the king who will fully release and empower you to become all that he has created you to be. So out of reverence for Christ, we experience mutual submission. We recognize the dignity, the equality, and the unity of all citizens of the kingdom of God. So we will respond with utmost respect and highest regard for one another. Start doing that, people, and see what happens to your relationships. Try treating the people around you, whoever they are. How about starting with the people in your own house? That might be a good place to start. I don't know, just saying. But it could be expanded beyond that to your other relationships. Begin to respond. Begin to recognize, first of all, that every person around you is a treasure with inherent dignity and equality. And as citizens together of the kingdom, there's a unity there. And begin to respond with utmost respect and highest regard for one another. I mean, we're supposed to have the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus, if you have any encouragement from you being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Terry? If you have any encouragement, if you have any encouragement, any in the common sharing in the Spirit, tenderness, compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having that same love. That same love. Looking for the interests of others. So here's where it gets very practical, beginning to look out for the interests of others. Now, let me give you a graphic just to kind of give you a very simple picture of this. So Jesus Christ, we're submitting out of reverence for Christ. We're submitting to Him. And then there is this mutual submission to one another. We have reverence for Christ. And then in person towards one another we have this place of mutual submission. And as we do so, His order becomes established in our relationships with Him and with one another. And I want you to notice something. Look at what happens in terms of the order here as we find ourselves coming closer and closer in submission to Christ, as we come into His divine order, we find ourselves in divine order with one another. So what happens is the closer we get to Him, the closer we get to one another. Do you see this? 
kind of just wave your hand at me or do something to let me know. You, you're, you're, okay. You hanging with? Okay. This is what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is an ongoing movement in our lives. As my wife and I, we will be married for 30 years next June. And what we've discovered is as we have come closer to Christ, we also have become closer to one another. As our reverence for Christ grows and our submission towards one another grows, a solid foundation gets established in our life together. Now, we've been looking at the foundation. Let's look at the function of marriage this morning. And if you're not married this morning, don't tune out. Um, Because um, if you're not married, those of us who are married need your support. (laughs) Because we can't do it alone. We need you. We need your encouragement. We need your help. So I'm reading from Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22, and I'm going to read all the way through 33. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands... In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must Respect her husband. Genesis 2, which Paul quotes here. Let me give the foundation of marriage relationship. For Adam, this is all the way back to the beginning, the creation. For Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Here we are at the beginning, the the establishment of a marriage relationship. All the way back to creation in Adam and Eve. The suitable helper, the coming together, the knowing one another, the being naked, no shame. It all sounds good, right? All right. So this is the foundation for marriage, all right? Now, Jesus picks up on that in Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus is affirming what we have read in Genesis chapter 1, which we also 
discovered here already in Ephesians chapter 5 as we read through the verses that I read just a moment ago. So what I'd like to submit to you this morning as we begin this, con- this, 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 uh, this conversation around increasing kingdom culture influence in the area of family and kinship, the, the, the foundation of that is in the marriage relationship. I mean, obviously, there's all kinds of other things that then happen outside of that. Not everyone gets married or is married, but everybody, uh, but, but at some level, there is, you know, the relationship between man and wife and the, the reproducing that happens as a result of that foundationally. In God's kingdom culture, marriage is exclusively reserved for the covenantal union between one man and woman, a union which needs to be treasured protected, and nurtured. This is a covenantal relationship. This is not simply a relationship of commitment. It's not simply a contract. It's not simply based on affection or love. It is based in covenant. First of all, covenant with Christ, submitted first of all to Him, and then in mutual submission one to another. The writer of Hebrews felt that this is so significant and important. He said marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. What does that mean? That means that the invitation within the context of kingdom culture, the invitation is, in in terms of our sexuality, is for fidelity within the context of a relationship between a husband and wife and anything that's outside of that does not honor marriage. His marriage is to be honored by all. Now, as most of you probably have heard, I don't watch TV very rarely, so I'm not getting blizzarded by ads. But you know, you probably, anybody ever heard, have anybody heard about a marriage amendment happening in Minnesota? Okay? How could you not? All right, so this morning we, we were going to have a representative here from Minnesotans for Marriage. They, they were unable to because of schedule conflict. So I'm, I'm going to, as your pastor, try to bring a little bit of light into all of the heat. I recognize that this is an enormously, uh, you know, high profile and very uh, hot issue within the context. And I'm going to tell you some more personally about this in a moment. But I just want to, first of all, let's just put it up what the marriage amendment actually says, okay? So that you know. I'm here, we are, I'm here to bring you information this morning, all right? Out of which you will make, you know, your decisions and discernment based on information uh, that you receive as, as you prayerfully consider your and our response to this. But we're, as, as, a, as an institution, quote-unquote, Bethel Christian Fellowship, we, our, our goal and response here is to give you information. And primarily, our approach is to come and speak. I, you know, this is, this is my approach. To, and we're going to talk about government a little bit more in a few weeks. So we'll get at this a bit more. I believe that the church is intended to be a prophetic witness into every, again, like we've been talking, including government, but we are not wholly owned and operated by any particular political party or particular 
political, that, that's not it. We are to be a, in the prophetic center standing and speaking truth to all. Okay? So that's what we're about. All right. So shall the Minnesota Constitution be amended to provide that only a union of one man and one woman shall be valid or recognized as a marriage in Minnesota? Now, practically, okay. All right. All right. Let me just unpack this for a moment practically. Here's what a yes vote would do. A yes vote would reaffirm the traditional definition of marriage. A yes vote would prevent expanding that definition to anything else, at least within the constitutional constraints that will be in place at that point, which still will be open. You know, I mean, this is an ongoing. This this issue, by the way, let me just tell you, whatever happens on November 6th, this is just the beginning of a conversation that's going to be going on for a long time. Okay, whatever happens, all right? Thirdly, it does not explicitly limit any current individual civil rights. This would not uh, abridge civil rights that are currently given to individuals. It would not explicitly limit any of those. And it would not prevent future legislation to establish civil unions. So... And and I'm going to talk about that again in just a moment, but let me go to the no vote. A no vote would, first of all, would not change. I I didn't need a second would there. So would not change current law. It doesn't change current law. I mean, if if a no vote happens, there is still, at this point in Minnesota on the books, there is a law that defines marriage as one man and one woman. So that law doesn't get changed if a no vote happens. All right? Secondly, it will offer no definition of marriage in the context of the Constitution. So there won't, it, it, marriage won't be defined in the context of the Constitution. It would imply that marriage should not be limited to a union between one man and one woman, that, that there is an implication here of a no vote, and secondly, potentially open the door to redefining marriage further to include other types of partnerships. Okay? So that's information that you need to have as you consider where you're going to walk in this. Now, that's some practical things, and there's some other practical things that we could talk about. Does it belong in the Constitution? I think that's a a very legitimate question that people are asking. I mean, the Constitution is reserved for only things that are of significant importance. Now, in 1998, in Minnesota, there was a decision made by the state of Minnesota and the people of Minnesota that the heritage of hunting and fishing was significantly important enough to enshrine that in the Constitution, that hunting and fishing will not be disallowed in Minnesota. All right? Now, one could argue and say that is marriage as significant as that? One could also argue that hunting and fishing shouldn't have been in the Constitution in the first place. So I understand there's different ways of looking at that. Secondly, just to recognize practically that all laws come out of a particular worldview. Everything comes out of a particular worldview. And your worldview informs the values and, 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 and laws legislate. I mean, it says, don't legislate morality. Well, you are always legislating morality because you're legislating some kind of morality. If morality is defined as our values and our behaviors, you're legislating values and behaviors based out of a particular worldview. Now, all laws are moral. Exactly. From a kingdom culture perspective, what we're saying is that as the church, 
Our call is to speak again prophetically and to, to advocate and put our voice into the marketplace about cult, kingdom culture values. Kingdom culture world, out of a kingdom culture worldview, what those values and behaviors would be. That is perfectly legitimate to do. And just one other practical thing, and then I want to talk to you pastorally as well. One other practical thing, to not vote. If you're voting on other things within your ballot, if you vote for anything else on a ballot and do not vote on this amendment, you are voting no. To not choose is to choose. Okay, there, there, it, it, if, if you leave it blank, it's considered a no vote. If, if, you, if you've voted on anything else in the ballot. Okay? So to not choose is to choose. Now, most of you know, I mean, some of you are brand new here today, and you're like, I don't know this guy. Okay. Well, I've been here 22 and a half years. My calling is as a pastor. As I shared before, I'll pastor anything that doesn't run away fast enough. Okay? So I pastor my kids. I pastor my dogs. So I pastor my neighborhood. Well, in my neighborhood, there's a lesbian couple with two kids, and this is a real family. This is not, what I want you to understand is, this is not some sort of distant thing to me. I'm not not talking about this in the abstract. This is real. This is happening. This is a part of life. And yesterday, I felt prompted a couple weeks ago, and and then yesterday I felt re-prompted. And so I called them up because um, I know them. We've got relationship. One uh, One of the partners had come down. She was working on some uh, education work and leadership, and she wanted to come and interview me about leadership. So she came down. We had a great conversation. I called them up, and I said, I'd like to return the favor. I'd like to talk to you about this amendment because, obviously, this affects them very specifically, very personally. And we sat down and talked for a couple hours in their living room. Had an had a excellent con- I mean, I, I'm inviting you to engage. Well, i got to engage, Right? We can dig our head in the sand and hope that it all goes away. Or we can just put our finger up in the wind and go with whatever is happening out there. Or we can engage in respectful conversation with one another. That's, that's why I hate, I'm sorry, I just hate lawn signs, period. Forgive me, I'll just have to say that, get that off my chest. It doesn't matter whether it's vote, no, yo, yes. Whatever it is, I just, because... How, how do you... That's not a dialogue. There's no, there's no conversation that happens in that context. So I needed to have a conversation with them, and it was wonderful, and I got to, to share, and share. I, they shared very transparently. And they told me, by the way, that I could talk to you all about this. So, so I got their permission, so I'm not, you know, I'm not infringing on anything. They were like, yeah, please. Because I told them, I'm, I'm speaking on this tomorrow. And they told me about the pain that they experience and that their children experience. You know, and I'm a pastor. That messes with my heart. I'm like, I told them, you know, somebody tries to deal with your kids, talk to me. Somebody's messing with your kids. All right? These are precious. I mean, they're... So there we are. And, and so here's, here's what I want to say. And, I, you know, 
Like I said, I'm going to add more questions and answers. But let me talk to you and say, first of all, wherever you are on this, and I think that there are, by the way, I think that there are, are, are places that this conversation hasn't yet gone that it will need to go at some point. Is I, I think there's legitimate questions about what role government has in, I mean, uh, let me back up and say this. Whatever we define marriage is, it doesn't change the reality. It's not simply that marriages should only between, be between a, a husband and wife. From my perspective, from a kingdom perspective, from my biblical perspective, that's the only thing. That's the only way. It's not just that they, they, can't, they can't be. There is no marriage outside of that. There is no marriage outside of that because there's no covenantal relationship possible. There is loving commitment that can be there and civil unions and perhaps the government needs to get out of marriage business altogether. (laughs) Okay? That's a legitimate conversation that we can have in the future as we go forward. But we're here and November 6th is coming. So... Let me just say that for, for those that are struggling with this on, on, on the perspective that says we don't want to limit it to a man and woman, only a man and woman, you've really got to struggle through this theologically. How are you going to rationalize, or in a sense, how, how are you going to, how, how do you redefine that coming back? to hear in this foundation. How do you do that? I mean, we got, you know, it can't just be because, well, I just feel it in my gut. I'm sorry. But feeling it in our gut is not enough. There has to be a foundation for that. But for those of us that find ourselves maybe on the other side, so, so some of us are over here and some of us might be over here. And for those of us that are over here and say, oh yeah, well it's simple, it's, it's, a, it's a husband and wife, that's it. That's what the Bible says and, and there we are. We still have to wrestle. And I, I would put it in the context of Micah 6, 8. He has showed you what is good, what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So we've got issues that we need to deal with because every person, regardless, in our society, in a civil society, and out of a Christian perspective and out of a Christian worldview, every person deserves to be treated with dignity and equality. So we're not... We don't have a caste system here. So when my neighbors say, well... We have to figure this out because if one of us dies, the body will not be released to me, even though we've been together 23 years and have two children. I think that's a problem. I think that's an issue that needs to be addressed. Anybody else think that's a problem? And our kids and all of the things. So, So we're not... This isn't so... The slogan shouting and all the other stuff out there, all the noise. And God help us, sometimes we've added to the noise. I ask them forgiveness for the ways that the church 
as wounded and hardened men rather than invited them. I mean, I talk, they know exactly where I'm at. There was no, we weren't, I wasn't, this wasn't a conversation, an argument to try to persuade to another side. It was, a, it was a respectful conversation and an open-hearted conversation and an opportunity for me to share my heart with them about what I believe and how I believe that we are called and whatever our identity, that our fundamental identity, if who we are, if we go back to Ephesians, our fundamental identity is who we are in Christ, then that's the fundamental identity. I am not defined by my sexuality. That's not the first thing that defines me. My identity defines me. My sexuality is a very significant part of the way God has made me and He has called me to fidelity to His rule and reign and standards. Are you following me? Is everybody okay? I don't know. Raising lots of questions. <laughs> but can I... Back up the boat for just one more moment and then we're going to rush ahead to the end. If we really want to have a kingdom influence on our culture in the area of family and kinship, the most vital thing that we can do is promote and live out healthy, life-giving marriages and families that radiate His life and joy. That's the most powerful thing we can do. If we do that, because our culture is all... I mean, <laughs> laws have consequences. No-fault divorce, other kinds of things. They have consequences! Ripping at the fabric! These laws have consequences. I, I mean, I'm sort of... I feel like I'm... Forgive me, I feel like I'm, I'm pulled both ways. Because on one hand, I feel like... This is very, very, very significant because this is at the heart of even the very image of God who created male and female in the image of God. I believe that this is very, and, and it's Christ in the church, and this to me, this is a fundamental, very significant issue. So I want you to know that I believe that this is significant and important on the one hand. On the other hand, whatever happens November 6th, God's not going to change His mind. He's not going to scratch His head and say, uh-oh, now we got troubles. I don't know what we're going to do now. I guess I'm going to have to change my mind. It's not what he's going to do. So, on that hand, you know, it's like on the one hand, on the other hand. So where are we pastorally? I want to tell you that we are committed to representing Christ as a people through life-giving marriages and families that hopefully begin to reflect the ideal of what He has said those relationships should be. Yes? Can we all come to agreement on that? Whether you vote no or vote yes, here's a place of for sure agreement, a fundamental agreement. All right? So the conversation continues. And I'm going to continue to have conversation with my neighbors because we see each other all the time. Kids are out playing in the neighborhood. We'll be talking. We'll be talking after November 6th, one way or another. We'll be talking. Because you know what? I love them. 
God loves them. And they're not, you know, and even saying them, I, I want to, part of my going over there was because we got so much them and us going on. You know those people? Here we are. All right, there we go. Elders, if you want to talk to me later about all this, and if I've misrepresented in any way, please forgive me. That fault would be entirely my own and not theirs. But we're seeking to try to... So, I don't know. Everybody okay still hanging in there? Wave at me, yeah, all right, okay. All right, so here we are. So... Let's talk about life-giving marriages, life-giving families. What does it look like? Very quickly. First of all, husband's responsibility. Husband is responsible to submit to his wife through love. This love is the unconditional, selfless, sacrificial commitment which seeks the very best for his wife. It's an invitation not to power, but to empower, to care for, cherish, and cleave to one's wife. I'm just telling you what it says right here in Ephesians 5. Okay? So you want to deal with it, deal with it there. All right? This is what husband... and. I'm beginning with a husband because guess what? This passage talks more to husbands than it does to wives. It's got more verses. It's got more words to men. I always feel like it's my primary, you know, if there's something going on, I feel like I have a primary initiating responsibility in terms of my call to love my wife and love her well. Wife's responsibility is submission through respect. This respect is the voluntary, willful, willing Voluntary, willing, joyful responsiveness to a husband's love. It's not an invitation to subjection, but to full participation in a marriage partnership to support and honor one's husband. I know. There's headship, and there's egalitarian, and there's all those things. I'm a practical theologian. I'm after loving my wife. And I know that she pours back respect to me because a husband needs respect and a wife needs love. All right. Family. Let's talk about kids. Children, I'm so glad you're still here. You're still awake. All right. Children, Tom was saying hours when you're here for hours on Sunday. He, I, I was scared about that. That was good, but here we are. We're here for hours today. So hang in there. We're really close to done. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So here's a parent's responsibility, is loving leadership. This leadership does not seek to control the child in an attempt to recreate them into the parental image, but rather it is to nourish and feed the God-given identity and destiny of each child. This happens through wise and loving training and instruction in the way of the Lord. You, as parents, are called to lead. My children know this. We've talked about this many times. In the Olson household, we do not have a democracy. We have a benevolent dictatorship. Okay? We are not a child-centered home. We're a parent-centered home. We're a Christ-centered home. But I have a responsibility not to recreate my children in my image, but to release and empower them to become what God has called them to be. Train up a child in the way they should go. It's also the way they should go, how they are called to go. Child's responsibility is loving obedience. This obedience is an eager readiness to listen and follow the training and instruction of the parent. 
This obedience doesn't enslave the child, but liberates them to become all that God has intended them to be as his children. Through obedience, children honor both their parents and the Lord. Loving obedience. To listen and follow. Obedience means to listen and do. Children, this means that you are not invited into selective hearing. You are invited to listen and do in the loving leadership of your parents. Now, again, I recognize there's great brokenness in many homes and our children who are very vulnerable and imperiled within those homes. I'm not addressing this morning the issues. There are multiple, multiple issues we could address here. But I'm talking about living out a kingdom culture family, what it looks like. This is what it looks like. All right? And through obedience, children, this isn't about just honoring your parents. You honor the Lord. Your obedience honors the Lord. It gives him his appropriate weight. That's what honoring means, to give appropriate weight to. The fulfillment of this. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. Ephesians 5.32. Worship team, come on up. We're done. Actually, it's not too bad. All right. And there's no kickoff today until 3, so you're all right. Okay. Listen up. Christ's love for the church and the church's obedience to Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of kingdom culture, family, and kinship relationship. We are all invited into this family by receiving his love and submitting to his order in our lives. As we do so, we will increase his kingdom influence as we look towards that final wedding day when as his bride we shall be eternally united with our bridegroom. Let me go back for that just one second. So here's where it gets bigger than just an individual family. You are part of, we've said it several times, you're part of this family. As part of this family, family, kingdom, culture, family, and kinship. We're invited into this family by receiving his love and submitting to his order in our lives. As we do so, his kingdom influence will increase as we look forward to that final wedding day. And that wedding day is described here. I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Can we stand together this morning? And again, as I look over, I know that this message touches many of us in very tender places. I recognize that there are marriages here that are struggling. I know that some of you here this morning are struggling in areas of your sexuality and you're trying to figure out how to be faithful to the Lord. And you're wrestling through on a very practical and just on a very real life level, things going on. And I understand all of that. And I understand, as Tom said earlier, you know, that you 
Some of you coming out of families where family's painful. I just, this is one of those messages where I know that there's just enormous amounts of opportunity for the enemy to try to come and, and, and create confusion or, and, and create um, just pain or, or condemnation. Can I just say this morning that there is a lamb who was slain who loves us and loves us so much He does not want to leave us the way we are. But He invites us into our true identity in Him and desires to call us up into the fullness of His grace and goodness and to the full wholeness that He desires for us individually, for our families, for our culture. And so we're going to make a proclamation this morning as we close and as we do with this song, There is a Day, and then I'm going to give the benediction. If you just want to step out, you can acknowledge, you can come stand here with me as I stand here as well in the place of brokenness, desperately and desiring and needing His wholeness, recognizing that He alone, He alone, is the one who can save my soul. He alone is the one who can bring me into His order. It's only His grace. I can't do it in myself. I need Him. And I'm looking forward to a day when that struggle will be completed and it will be fulfilled and will come and will be with Him forever! Just open your hands if you would. Lord Jesus, we're a broken people living in a broken world. In desperate need of your loving kindness and grace. To be poured out into the very depths of our soul and spirit and being, God. That Lord Jesus, you would come. King, Savior, Deliverer, Healer, Friend. We welcome you into our lives here today and into the life of this body. And Lord, into our city and into our state and into our nation and the nations of the world and all of its brokenness. We cry out, Maranatha! Even so, Lord, come! And may your kingdom come and may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. For yours is the kingdom and the honor and the glory forever and ever. And now I pray that you, loved ones of the King, that you might be filled afresh this day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, and the inexhaustible strength, power, and comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, sent to declare the good news of the King, go with the banner of His goodness and favor upon your life until we gather again either in this house or in our eternal home. I bless you 
the people of God here at Bethel Christian Fellowship and beyond. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.